turn from us. Don't forget that we're your people. And God responded with, I didn't forget. You know, I've never forgotten you. Uh, as a matter of fact, people are finding me who weren't even trying to find me. You know, so I'm, I want to be found. Um, anyway, so that he's continuing. This is still him um, responding to Isaiah. And that's, that's where we'll pick up in verse 17. But the, before we do, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us understand it. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us the opportunity to sing a couple songs together and, and praise and worship of you. And God, that we get to gather together freely without fear, real persecution, something we take for granted. Lord, as we embark to study the words that you inspired Isaiah to write down, we just pray that you would help us to understand it, understand you better. Uh, know you better, uh, and the Lord just uh, open the eyes of our heart to see the truth and to see who we can be in and through you. So we can be in <coughs> so Isaiah 65, uh, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. That's something that, that, that you probably heard that expression at some point, right? that a new heaven, a new earth. Um, just a quick recap, because this is <coughs> he's getting into some end-time stuff that it can be confusing, and Isaiah struggles to, <coughs> to discern everything he's He's, he's looking so far into the future that it's hard to tell, you know, something that may be 10 or 100 years apart when you're looking thousands of years in the future, right? Uh, but, so just quick recap, if you can call it that, of what we've learned throughout Isaiah. Right? We've learned about this thing called the Day of the Lord, right? The, uh, it's the, the tribulation or the end times or whatever you want to call it, um, Isaiah mostly calls it the day of the Lord. And, he's, and we believe that begins with something called the rapture, where the Christians in the world are um, taken to be with Jesus. And we basically get about a seven-year vacation with the Lord, is um, what we can, as, as near as we can tell. And while we're with Him on earth, things are pretty rough. Uh, it's, they, they also call it the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> so rough things are going on here on earth. Jesus comes back to the earth eventually at the end of that with the church, uh, with us, with him. And he makes his way to Basra and Petra in the valley of Megiddo and to Jerusalem. And there he's going to establish uh, his kingdom for a thousand years. That's what the Bible tells us. We call it the millennial reign or the millennial kingdom. It's just thousand years uh, where Jesus is ruling on earth. It's something that the Bible speaks of in multiple spots. And at the end of that thousand years, uh, there's one last rebellion. Satan is loose, and he's going to seduce some of the people who were born during the kingdom. That's something I didn't always understand. Right? There are people on earth uh, when the kingdom starts, people who are alive and have not gone to heaven yet, but they enter the kingdom, and they're going to have babies, and People will be born and, and live and you know grow up in the kingdom. 
And some of them will only, the only life they've ever known is with Jesus physically, literally there on the throne. And so they never really had a time where they could choose anything but making Jesus their king. And so there's a, a one last rebellion, one last chance for everybody to choose those. Uh, and then we're told that at the end of that, Satan is, is cast into Gehenna or the lake of fire or the outer darkness, whatever you want to call it, along with his angels and, and all those who chose him over Jesus. Uh, I hope you took notes. That's going to be on the test at the end of the message. Okay. Uh, anyway, after all of that, we're told about something called this new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 actually speaks about the same thing. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. says this. This is John. John was blessed to have a vision of the things to come. And after all those things that I just described, it says this happened. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, what? Passed away. There's no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first thing has passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write for these words are faithful and true. And he goes on to say later in that chapter that uh, there's no need anymore for a sun or moon. As, you know, the light will come from the Lord Himself, and there'll no longer be any night. Um, anyway, so that's like the the end game, the real end game. Uh, and so, the Lord is, is describing some of this to Isaiah. We're going back to Isaiah 65, verse 17. He says, "For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind." He says, he uses a very specific, uh, specific word here when he says create. There are multiple words he could use. <coughs> he says, behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. And he uses the word bara, which is uh, creating from nothing. Something basically only the Lord can do. Now there's another word that's commonly used, uh, asa, which is creating from existing material. That's what anything you and I would create, right? We would you know, take wood and carve it, and we created this carving or this sculpture. Um, you know, we would take gossip and we create drama or whatever. You know, you're creating from existing material. Uh, but that's not what God says He's going to do. He's not going to improve something that already exists or remodel. He's starting fresh from scratch. So it's the same word He uses. In, in Genesis 1, he's creating the heavens and the earth. Now, Peter, um, 
has a little bit to say about this. Second uh, Peter three verse ten it says, "But the day of the Lord, that all that mess I was talking about at the beginning of the message, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up." Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in God's Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter says, Everything around you is temporary. Nothing material is going to last. The things that we stress out over that we don't have enough of or we have too much of, none of that lasts. And so he's saying, Lord, help us to focus our attention accordingly. All of this stuff is temporary. It's all going to burn up. So why would God destroy, completely destroy everything? Why would he start fresh, start all over? Um, well, everything on earth, the Bible tells us, has been tainted by sin, by Satan. Uh, even creation is messed up. Everything, there's nothing in the world that is as it should be. We go back to Isaiah 65, verse 17, again. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So does that mean our memories are just wiped clean when we're in heaven? I don't think so. I, I, in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah, they appear uh, with Jesus in, his glor- in their glorified form. But they're still recognizable by uh, Peter and James and John. Um, I think what 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 we can count on is that we uh, will remember when we're in heaven. It's just our memories will no longer cause us any pain. Revelation twenty one four that we just read. Our memories will no longer include baggage. And, I think this is the biggest thing, is that we will be so caught up in wonder and awe uh, that we won't really be thinking about anything. It's kind of like when you see your kids, uh, you know, at the circus or the fair or, you know, amusement park and on a roller coaster. Do you think they're thinking about anything but the moment? Now, when you're standing in line, they've got all kinds of complaints and stuff. But when they're, you know, in, when they're in, enraptured in, in, in the moment, they're not thinking of anything but that. And I, I think that's going to be kind of the case for us. But when we're in heaven, uh, the Bible does tell us that we'll understand things perfectly. Uh, it, will, it will all make sense. And difficult things will no longer cause us pain. First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, Now we see things imperfectly, 
like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely. That gives me a lot of comfort. Uh, in John 13, <clears throat> Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And Peter wants no, you know, he doesn't want him to do it. And, and Jesus says, you know, what I do now, you do not understand. But you will hear that. The promise is there, there is a time when the answers will be there. And as much as I love digging for answers, I look forward to a time when I don't have to puzzle over some things and be frustrated because I can't get the answer. You know, those, those things that there is no, there is no answer because you just can't know what it, what it was that God was up to. So, like I said, remember Isaiah is he couldn't see the valleys between the mountain tops, right? He's looking so far in the future that, from his perspective. Uh, Jesus' first coming and second coming, or, you know, they're both in his future, so they could be the same thing to him. Uh, and so the, the kingdom and the new heaven and new earth, um, even, you know, the coming of Jesus, were all future and, and uh, could be taking place all at the same time from, from Isaiah's perspective. But I think what he describes next is, isn't this new heaven and new earth, uh, but the time right before it. In that kingdom period. Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm kind of hammering this about that the Lord is going to create new stuff, not reshape old stuff, and that there's a distinction between the kingdom and heaven is because it's caused um, quite a bit of division over the years, and people have gotten these kind of goofy ideas. Uh, and sometimes you'll hear people say, well, no one even believed in uh, the kingdom or the rapture or anything until, what, 120 years ago. And they're, they're just referencing a, a writer who uh, became popular, you know, his theories became more popular. But that's not the case. It wasn't like a new idea somebody came up with. Uh, the church throughout history has often ignored or denied the promise of the, the reign of Christ, but uh, it was not a new idea that we just picked up here recently. Um, the early church until uh, Augustine almost universally believed in the fact that Jesus was going to have an earthly reign. He was going to have a literal physical kingdom on earth. Uh, there was a guy... Antonius, which was in the late 300s, uh, he was the first to champion this, this idea that it was uh, more of a spiritualized interpretation, saying that the millennium was, um, you know, something that was, it was purely spiritual, not physical, not literal. And so he, he basically started this movement of amillennialism, that there is no kingdom or millennial reign. Um, and his view, unfortunately, it was adopted by uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and a lot of Reformed theologians believe that too. 
And then growing out of that was this other doctrine of post-millennialism saying that basically the kingdom already happened and that or no, that the, the kingdom will, will happen when the church makes the world better and better and better until it's, you know, utopia, until it's perfect. Which, it, I don't know, look around. Do you think the world's getting better and better and better? <laughs> I mean, I have better internet than I used to, I guess. You know, there's a few things. But, um, so anyway, but, you know, that's, I don't, we don't, we don't buy into that idea. Now, all that timeline stuff of this happens and then that happens, those are theories we can kind of pin down. We're pretty confident, but we don't know for sure, you know, when each little event happens because it hasn't happened yet. But it is clear, that the Bible clearly teaches this, I believe, this premillennial stance that Jesus is going to return and he's going to establish his kingdom for a thousand years. There are uh, more than 400 verses and more than 20 different passages in the Old Testament uh, that deal with this time uh, when Jesus rules and reigns personally on, on planet Earth. So I think it's a big deal. Some people don't. Some people are like, what's it matter? Uh, it's, you know, it's all about heaven or hell. Okay. Um, we'll see if we can break down why it matters. We'll read on here. Isaiah 65, verse 18. It says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. Now here's where it gets kind of tricky. It says, For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So, he's talking about people dying. Are people dying in heaven? Anybody? No. Okay. Yeah, because there will no longer be any, any death. So this is talking about something different. <clears throat> and he says here, basically, in this period of time, um, if you're 100 years old, you, bas- you would basically qualify to be in the youth group. You know, that's, that's going to be a young person. Our, our lifespan would be much longer. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus describes the, the scene at the, the beginning of the kingdom. Basically, all the people that are left on earth are gathered around him and uh, outside of Jerusalem in the valley of Jehoshaphat and uh, to be judged and they're placed into one of two groups, right? The people on his left are the, the goats and the people on his right are the sheep and the sheep enter the kingdom. Um, these are the people that they trusted. <clears throat> they trusted Jesus and they, he says that they cared for his people. So he, they cared for people during the, the tribulation period. And so basically, there are two groups of people at that point: uh, those who warred against, you know, did war against God and His people, and those who stood by God and His people. And he says that the sheep will enter the kingdom <clears throat> with their physical bodies. That these are people that are alive at the end of the tribulation, and they get to come into the kingdom. At that point, he does kind of remodel the earth. Um, 
into an Eden-like state. The reason I mention that is if you look at uh, you know how God describes the, the earth in the early days, right? in, in Eden, when Adam and Eve are running around, and, and prior to the flood, um, you know, it talks about how that it, 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 it didn't rain. There was water above and there was water below. And basically, he's describing a, a water canopy. A giant hyperbaric chamber. When we recreate those conditions in, in the lab, uh, it's been done a few times. One, there was one study where they used a tomato plant and they grew it in this type of situation. And uh, it just yielded fruit continuously rather than in a cycle. And the fruit was in, enormous. You know, it was just a perfect scenario for a plant to grow you know, to be its best. So in a perfect scenario, with perfect air, with no radiation, with perfect food, with no disease, how long would people live? Yeah. We don't know, but uh, apparently it's a long time. And God says, during this time, that I, this thing I'm going to do, if you, if you die at 100 years old, people will go, what was up with that guy? That's really weird. Right? He died really young. Something must have gone really wrong. Um, verse 21. It says, They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. Remember, Isaiah is living in a time where he's already seen their their cousins, you know, their, the other kingdom has already been taken captive. His kingdom is going to, in short order. They're, they're seeing foreign invaders come in and take everything that they own, and take their children, take all their wealth. And he's being, you know, God's comforting him, saying, there is going to be a time when God's people won't have to worry about any of those things about foreign invaders or having their property seized by the government. And he describes a, a situation where you'll, you, you won't be a wage slave you know, serving some corporation. Because you'll be able to enjoy the, the fruit of your labor and know that, you know, no one else will take them. I got to looking into... You guys know me. I like that. I was looking into this... Uh, Compared with the typical workers' pay, CEOs, this is in 2021, CEOs were paid 399 times as much as their average employees. That was the, the typical number. It was the highest multiple on record. Uh, put it in perspective, in 1965, CEOs on average were paid about 20 times what their average worth is. That's still good, right? You, you should be paid more if you're, you have the stress of running the whole thing. Are you, should you be paid 400 times more? That seems a little, a little off. Right? And God says, in, in my kingdom, it won't be that. You'll be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Uh, no one's going to be, uh, be taken advantage of. Verse 23, uh, they will not labor in vain. 
or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. So if nobody's doing a job they hate during that time. Uh, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. You know, God answers all prayers, uh, but sometimes the answer is silence. Sometimes the answer is no. Or not right now. And he says, though, in this time, there will be no delay. There's no petitioning the Lord with prayer. Right? He says, even before you speak it, I'll answer. And when you think it, I'll, be, I'll answer right there. That alone is something to look forward to. Verse 25, he says, The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's seed. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So basically, he says, you know, nature is going to be returned to perfect harmony. And there's not going to be any political party. Right? There's no disunity. There will be no predators. Perfect peace. That's what the kingdom is about. And that's what Jesus was, he came proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand. He came telling us that, hey, part of the kingdom comes from within, it's inside you. That's what we're supposed to be bringing about, right? It's perfect peace. Something we could all use more. Now, we read from a passage earlier. In Second Peter chapter three, I'm gonna we're gonna go back there and read another one verse further. Second Peter he does a good job of, of summarizing what this stuff means. He says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief." In other words, it's gonna come when we don't expect it. Anytime someone predicts, "Oh, Jesus is coming back May third, 2023," well, we can rule that date out. That's not it. Uh, it says, the day of the Lord will come like a feast in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Knowing how things end, knowing that everything is temporary, how should it affect us? It, well, it's for one, it should bring us bring about holy conduct and godliness in their life. But verse 12, he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Right. Looking for and doing everything we can to see the kingdom come. Right. That thing that we, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said to pray that, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we are looking forward to. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, uh, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him, Peace. Uh, listen, 
You know, Jesus tells us that uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Not peacekeepers. Thank you tonight for giving us another opportunity to study uh, difficult passages. Uh, we pushed through them kind of quickly tonight, and we know there's so much more there. God, we just ask that you would help us to um, not just grow in knowledge about the end times, but that as we learn these things, that it would motivate us, as Peter says, to be found making peace, uh, bringing unity. Modeling God's in it. Lord, that they would uh, give us a zeal to share the good news of the gospel with us. God, we pray tonight that anyone that um, has not yet trusted you for eternal life, they would be saying you, uh, you had a plan for us from the very beginning. And part of that plan included Jesus coming living a perfect life and dying for our sin when he had known no sin. And because of that, and him rising on the third day, we can have eternal life, having our sin yet for So we would pray anyone listening tonight that has been on the fence about it, that they would just trust that you are who you say you are, and that you can do what you say you can do. So those of us that have already made that decision, uh, Lord, help us to lead the kind of lives that help bring about the kingdom here on earth uh, right now. And we pray, Lord, that you come and come quickly. Praise you, Jesus.